Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show is going to prove very varied. We have quite a bit of different pieces of material that have occurred, everything hot off the press, literally. Uh, some things just from a little, a little while ago. I want to start off with last week. I don't know uh, if everybody who's listening now heard our show last week, and that's always a problem. Uh, people who, you know, missed uh, last week, so they didn't understand, won't, may not understand it fully. I'm going to try to explain it completely. Uh, on the other hand, that the people who listened last week didn't listen this week. They didn't hear the self pasuk. They didn't hear the end of the story. The story we were discussing last week was about a uh, a, a package of uh, cauliflower, frozen cauliflower, which was being sold by a major distributor in this country. And uh, it had the hashkocha from the badats of the Eid Haredes, and the fly was found inside. At the time when I spoke to the group, when I, when I spoke last week, I did not have the product in, my, in hand. I only got it subsequently. And I want to tell you, not just that I learned a lot from this, but also that everything completely changed when I saw what was going on. And that's a, that's a big cloud that everybody has to get into their heads, that when it comes to these issues of kashras, everything is everything, and not knowing all the details, you can make a lot of mistakes. And it's very important to cover things properly. So let's just explain what happened. This company puts out cauliflower. Now, cauliflower has many uh, bugs that are inside the cauliflower. It takes a lot of work to grow cauliflower that doesn't have insects in it. And, and, and the uh, dots of the Erechaves is a very strict organization. And this product well, had this one fly in it. Uh, their job is to basically make sure that it has no insects in it. But this was a fly. It's not the normal thing that you expect to be inside a uh, in, inside the uh, the cauliflower. There's no there's no flies. It's uh, different insects are inside. They're inside, and this house this was grown greenhouse. And in the greenhouse, they take care that it's clean from any of these small insects. But flies, as I mentioned last week, are uh, all around. And they, uh, you'll find them in the prod, different products. And I had mentioned last week, which was true, what I had seen 20-something years ago in Eretz Israel, uh, under places that were under the badats, and I saw flies fl- flying around and, al- and alighting on top of chalos. And uh, this, was with, this was my experience from some 20-some-odd years ago. So I sent, uh, first of all, I, got, I had to get the product. So... And originally, they were going to drop the product off, and they didn't. They said it was going to cost too much money. It was going to cost them $20 to send it in the cab service. I live four or five blocks away from this person who <laughs> I didn't know about it. This person called, this lady called somebody in Brooklyn, and he called me up. And that's how the whole the whole situation started. But I said, I have to see the product. I have to get, uh, I have to get the product to the Kashmir's agency. I can't really discuss it with them without seeing it. So they said, okay, we'll get it over to you. In the end, uh, the woman said it was going to cost her $20. So I said, no problem. I'll, I'll go buy after Mincha and pick it up. 
So I went by, and what she did was she said, I'm going to leave it in my mailbox. So this is an amazing situation. I come by, and I, I stop, park the car, open her mailbox, and sure enough, inside is a package. And the package has a little note on it, and two things inside. One is the, actually it was three things, I think. Uh, one is this package, which the, uh, the cauliflower is in, and the cauliflower itself, there was the package is one thing, the outside of the package. The cauliflower is another bag, and the fly is right on top of the cauliflower. You can't miss it. So with the, I think it's called they call it green fly. Anyway, it's it's on top of this uh, on on top of the cauliflower, and there's a little envelope, and the envelope says on it picture of the fly. So the wom- woman had taken a picture of the fly. Uh, and she had given us the, uh, the actual fly, and we had the, the packaging. So what was interesting was that there, when I asked, I said, what's the name of the product? And they said, there's, there's no name. And then uh, I asked them where it was made, and you know this. They don't know. It's distributed by a certain well-known distributor in this country. But when I got the actual package, it clearly had a name on it, the name of the product, the name of the company, the name of the product, and it, it said it was where it's produced, and it wasn't produced in Israel at all. It's under the Badats, but it's from another country. So here we have a situation where everybody misunderstood the whole thing from beginning to end, and the person I was speaking to in Brooklyn thought that uh, it was this, this company, uh, you know, the, the, the Badats of the Eid Haredes, it's Israel, he said to me, I never had a situation where there was an insect in it in something I got from, he mentioned a certain country, which another distributor has product from. And, but, but from Israel, you know, we have these problems. But in reality, this product did not come from Israel. It came from Europe. I believe it was from England. And uh, so it was really uh, nothing to do with Israel. And uh, it, it's something that happened. But it's no... The question is, how do we analyze it? What do we look at it? So I sent it off to Israel, and I got a response. So I'm going to read to you the response, almost word for word. It's in Hebrew. And this, this was from one of the people in the Yisachtas, uh, in, in the Badatz of the Yedah He is... This, uh, the, the person that, uh, that my contact received this letter this email from this person who was in charge uh, and who was familiar with the product and the production, etc. So I'll read it to you a little bit in uh, Hebrew. It bothers me very much that they found a, 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 a fly in the, uh, uh, in, in the cauliflower. He says, but this thing is not, not a common occurrence. And it's not something which is normally found in the, uh, in the cauliflower. It's something that you find anywhere. And every place that makes this anything that you always could find a fly, and it's a it's a small number of occurrences something that's not common. And if it's not common, halacha doesn't say that we have to be worried about it. Of 
course, we're not going to throw a fly in anything, but we don't have to worry that flies got in because they're very rare to get into our food. Hakruvis gedele bechamamot tachas pikuach kaptani shel mashkichim mumchim imitameinu. Uh, this is done. This is production of these of this uh, product over here. The uh, the cauliflower is done with mashkichim, mumchim, well, very capable individuals. Mitamein of working for us for the badats. Baruch Hashem, heim becheskes nakim becheshash acharakim matzuyim bekruvis. And Baruch Hashem, he says, they we very very rare to see any insects in the product, because we've gotten it down to a very, very low level. It's below the level of mir hamatsui. Mir hamatsui is there, some, maybe some say 3%, some 10%, but whatever the number is, they claim that they're below that number, and it, uh, it's very rare to find anything in their product, and certainly this doesn't scare them, because this is something that's very, very, uh, it occurs very, very rarely. That's the point. If you find one but one fly, that doesn't take away the reliability of this particular product. He says it's possible in any frozen fruit or vegetable to find a fly in rare occurrences. That bothers me. But it, it, you know, but halachically, the halach is with him. The, but I am worried uh, whether enough is being done. So he, uh, well, she see how I played it out. Imzos tov oso al He's talking about how the people who were involved in, in the production of the food, it's important for them to know that this occurred and that they're going to try even more to protect from anything like this happening in the future. When they're freezing the product and when they're packing it, they should keep their eyes open. Okay. With a prayer that nothing should go wrong under our hands. In other words, halakhically, we didn't do anything wrong. Of course, you don't eat the bug. But halakhically, we didn't do anything wrong. Halakhically, we have a, 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 a kosher product uh, that something got in, like in your house or in the store, in the packaging area, something could get in. But I wasn't 100% happy with it because I felt that I had my story from 20-something years ago, my experiences, and here you find this product here. So uh, we got a, I got a response from the rabbi, and he basically said to me, in fact, I don't even have it in front of me, but he basically said to me um, that, you know, we answered you, and as far as your experiences from 20-something years ago, things have changed dramatically. And if you want, we'll discuss it. So obviously uh, he feels that things have been upgraded, I suppose in Israel, and in general in the, the, in the field, and it is a rare occurrence to find a fly in a uh, product, uh, and that's the end of the story. So the, the interesting parts of it were, you know, the, 
a little confusion about who's producing it, who's responsible, uh, which country it's in, um, which is things you could just see in the package, and then the issue about uh, is this an, does this disturb the chazaka of the kashrus of the product? And the answer is no. I could have said that also. Uh, uh, is there a problem with in, flies in the food? So, uh, again, I, my experience from 20 years ago, 20-something years ago was my experience. A rabbi, my friend over there in Israel who works with the Badats, one of the only people who speaks English, and he, uh, he assures me that things have changed. And, uh, of course, this did occur, but it's something that's not going to occur very often. And therefore, it's not an issue. As we, as we understand, anything could happen sometimes. And Baruch Hashem, uh, the woman was protected. She didn't eat it. And that's the end of the story. If anybody has any horrors, I'm glad to hear it. That's the end of story number one. Now, we're going on to a different topic. This is a uh, follow-up on something that we started a few months ago. If you remember when the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, uh, became involved with the Abraham Accord, as even before the Abraham Accord, with Israel and, and making some kind of uh, gestures, eventually became the Abraham Accords, and is definitely uh, the biggest thing that happened in the Middle East in a positive way. Whether it's ultimately positive or negative, I can't tell you. But one thing came out of it was there was a lot of business back and forth. Okay, that's one thing. Uh, Israelis are running over there. That's not such a good thing. But that's what's happening. And uh, the, the, the other thing that's important is that the Arabs, meaning the ones who are the Palestinians, Arabs, uh, see that not all Arabs are going to stick with them. That when push comes to shove, if Israel can get its act together with everybody else, uh, there'll be a peace, whether the Palestinians want it or not. And uh, ultimately, uh, it, they could be sidelined. And even if not, they may not get what they want, and they may have to be forced into a, a settlement. And So really, it's a very exciting time and this whole thing is in the center. Now, I'm going to share with you this email that I got from a good friend in Israel who's very involved with the UAE. You'll see in a second. Um, he says, Baruch Hashem, the Abraham Accords were signed, and we reached out to the leading publications in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Bayran. The UAE is a whole new market for Israelis. And he, watch this next line. And tens of thousands of Israelis have already been there. I think it was like 50,000, maybe more. But it's, a, it's really tens of thousands of Israelis have made the trip to the UAE. Some of them go for business, and some go for pleasure. And some, you know, they actually had simchas over there because it was, uh, it was convenient for a lot of people. It's a very interesting story, especially during COVID. It was very interesting. The Kashva situation is quite incredible. Now, this is a big step up from what we, when we reported on the air a few months ago. There are at least three glot kosher Limahadrin restaurants in Dubai, including the inn in the Burj Khalifa building, which is the tallest building in the world. 
Here, this, there's a well. This was this was what we had mentioned this. I think back at that time, there are at least three services that offer takeaway and deliver to hotels. In other words, you can order, you can pick it up yourself, or you can order and it will be delivered to your hotel, kosher food, including the world famous Hermes from London, which is under Kadasya supervision. It's one of the highest hashkachas and the, one of the best uh, operations, catering, and, and under good, hush, solid hashkacha, the Hermelis, and they're servicing now the UAE. They are offering an extensive menu and will deliver anywhere. Several Israeli tour operators are offering vacations. Again, all glad kosher. For example, one of them is called Kosher Travelers, Another one is called Sheinfeld, and there are others or tour operators from Israel taking people on those tours. In Abu Dhabi, it's even better to some degree, as by law, every hotel has to be able to supply kosher food. Amazing. Every hotel in Abu Dhabi has to be able to provide kosher food. If you want to be a guest, you have to be served kosher food. Now, I mean, they don't store everything. They may bring things in, and they, I don't know how they warm it and how they give it to you. I can't discuss the details, but I can say that everything is everybody who goes to Abu Dhabi can get kosher food in his hotel. Try it in, in Manhattan. Try it in Manhattan. You wouldn't get it. Ellie's Kitchen, which is the woman who we had on the air, Ellie's Kitchen relocated to Abu Dhabi to the Aloft Hotel, which is near the convention center and any other hotel in Abu Dhabi. And there are hundreds of them, and they can order from them. For In other words, Ellie's Kitchen will sell to anybody in Abu Dhabi. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, of hotels. He said hundreds. In Bahrain, R.A. Wagner, who is extremely well-known and has been doing very high-grade kosher catering in the U.K. and Switzerland for many years, supplies ready-to-eat kosher meals to the Ritz-Carlton in Baron, and they are, they are in the process of building a proper kosher kitchen. That means the Ritz-Carlton in Baron will have a kosher kitchen. Uh, okay. Rabbi Mendy Shitrick, who is an old friend of mine, not mine personally, I'm this, rabbi, this gentleman in, in Israel that's writing the letter, uh, who is an old friend of mine and who is a shaliach in Istanbul, is very involved in the Shrit of Dubai, and there's an organization that's been set up in which he's involved together with Rabbi Duchman and others that will install glat kosher kitchens in any hotel in Abu Dhabi or Dubai that wants to take that route. So aside from just getting kosher meals, they'll give you a, they'll make a kosher kitchen for you. I can tell you, I've traveled extensively all over Europe. He does because it's his business. He make he makes uh, arrangements for people, and uh, you know he's a, he has other businesses, but one of them is is to provide for, for travelers. And you'd be, he said, and you'd be hard pressed, pushed. To find any country except perhaps the UK and France that can match the kosher facilities that the UAE offers, and this peace agreement is less than one year old. Amazing story going on there. Hopefully, it will all go in the right way.
I mean, of course, it's Hashem's way, but hopefully it'll be good stuff for, for us and, and not chas v'sholem, something else. So that takes, that's the next topic. Now, with, moving right along, I'm going to share with you something that's happening in Europe. I just got this today. And I have to tell you, it's very uh, interesting. I think all of you know that, uh, that there's a Brexit where the UK left the uh, European Union and went on their own. So we always knew it cost, cost money, it could be this, it could be that. We didn't know what was going to happen. Now we do know. So one of the first things that we have affecting us as Jews is that there's a, um, a ban on chilled meat from Northern Ireland, in Northern Ireland, or actually in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. In other words, the people living in Northern Ireland cannot get imported meat from Britain. That's where they had been getting their kosher meat. So now, how many Jews live in the Northern Ireland? Of course, it's very, very few. At one time, there were 1,500, but right now, there's probably 100 Jews there. Uh, according to my numbers, it, I read two different things. One said there's 67 members of the, of the shul, and there's an equal number of people living there. That would make it 130, 140 people. But the, uh, the more conservative number is 100 Jews. So it's not very much. I certainly admit it's not a, a, major, uh, uh, a major community of, of, of Judaism. But on the other hand, it's a community that was there for very many years and its entire community. And basically, at this point, they may have to close and leave. If it's 100 people, it doesn't sound so scary if they left. But uh, it's a sign. So let's read a little to you a little bit about what's going on there. It seems there's a chilled meat ban, and uh, the Jewish community is sounding the alarm, and it's all because of Brexit. Because, because of BRICS, Brexit deal, it, they prohibited the importing of chilled meat from Britain. The United Kingdom's chief rabbi is Rabbi Ephraim Mervis, and he warned that because it is banned, it, it might become unviable for Jews to live in, northern, in the northern United Kingdom. Uh, I'm sorry, Northern Ireland. I read a mistake here. They, for, to live in Northern Ireland because of the upcoming ban on imports of chilled meats from Britain. Now, what, when I say upcoming, and I said it really happened, oh, you'll see in a second, they pushed it off till September, which is interesting. It's right after the Yom Tov. Mamish, Mamish, after the, I think it's, it's the end of September. I didn't look at the calendar, but it sounds to me like this is just the end of the Yom Tov, uh, the, the last philos for this community, whether the, Hashem will answer their prayers or not. The ban does not include an exemption for kosher meat. So that was the problem. Uh, which religious heads of Northern Ireland's Jewish community warned could cause the community to completely die. Uh, in a deal under which the UK left the EU, uh, the uh, Northern Ireland must continue to adhere to the EU's blocks, 
which is their standards are including a ban on chilled meats such as sausage or ground meat from non-member states. Now the now England is a non-member state because of the Brexit. So uh, technically they cannot get meat from England. The ban had to be set that had been set to take place in June 30th, was pushed off till the end of September. So there's only like 100 Jews there, whatever it is exactly, and they say it's too expensive for them to get meat from other countries. Uh, they, the Ireland itself is part of the EU, and this is Northern Ireland, separate. So the, they could have gotten from Ireland, but it seems that it would be pro, it's prohibitive to get meat from Ireland as opposed to the UK. So that's basically what's happening. Um, it, the, uh, the people in Ireland are saying it's an inadvertent collateral damage. In other words, we're caught in the uh, crossfire, arising out of current trade differences between Britain and the EU. In other words, tough luck. There's a gentleman by the name of David Kale. He's the religious leader for the Northern Ireland Jewish community, and he said he's worried about the future. Here's a quote. Our religion requires us to eat kosher, and unfortunately, nobody can live without eating. Very astute. Uh, but Kale says that members of the Jewish community living in senior living homes or who are hospitalized rely on kosher meals on wheels that comes from Britain, from England, from Scotland, and from Wales. So in other words, we're talking about not just Jews who can pick up and go, but people in nursing homes and uh, in senior living facilities that, that they can't take care for themselves. Uh, and they, they're reliant on this to get kosher meals. It, it could be very devastating for these people who are caught in the, the crossfires. Uh, now, uh, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson warned the ban's effect on importing kosher meat from Britain could cause an exodus of Jews from Northern Ireland. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. And it goes on and on and on, and that's basically what we're up to. Um, what's, what is going to happen? Nobody knows. But uh, an interesting part of it is down here. Uh, it seems that in order to get the meat approved, uh, there's a lot of paperwork that would need to be done, including veterinary inspection for raw meat to, to make sure it keeps up to the EU standards. So you technically could do stuff, but you'd have to follow a whole bunch of rules that would be impossible and ex too expensive. Now, one of the big problems is that there is no shaykhet. So the Belfast community, or the Jewish community in the Republic of Ireland, don't have a shaykhet. So that's, it means that the kosher meat and poultry has to be imported. And they can't get a rabbi then if they can't have kosher meat, and it's going to be very bad. I've seen communities that had no kosher meat and they had a rabbi, or some Chabad rabbi did that in a country, I forget which one it was. And yes, they would put themselves out. I think the simple solution between you and I is to get a shaykhet in there and I can't imagine that there's not, there won't be a Chabad rabbi marching in there and solving the problem. That's my personal feeling. In fact, I plan, Blinetta, to contact Lubavitch and discuss it with them. 
because I think that's the simplest solution for this problem instead of expecting all these uh, Morris Johnson and all these bigwigs to make a, an about face and, and everyone plead and on behalf of the poor Jews. I don't think that's going to happen so fast. I think the Jews have to take care of themselves and get a shoichet in there. So that's the simple answer to, for, as far as I'm concerned. But right now, everybody is saying that Belfast is going to go fast, away. I mean, it's, and it seems like that, uh, that's what's going to happen. But here is the second part. Um, that the second part is what's happening in the UK. So this came at the same time as this other piece came to me. I got this thing about the in the UK. Listen to what's going on in the UK. It's just interesting how a Kaddish Baruch orchestrates this world. The UK is making a ban on boiling lobsters alive, which is pretty disgusting, which is what the Goyim do. They take lobsters, and they're moving, and they like to go somewhere, and they lower them down into the hot boiling water and boil them alive. And I th- they think they claim it makes them taste better. It's, if you're asking about something which doesn't make any sense in, in being in this world, it's boiling lobsters alive. You have to eat, fine. You're not kosher, fine. You don't have to eat kosher. You're not Jewish. You want to eat a lobster, fine. That's why Hashem put in the world. It's edible. It's for goyim to use, no question. But you're going to go ahead and put a live lobster in there. I don't know when it is. There may not be a din of, uh, I don't know what the din is. I didn't look into the halacha for, for a goy. First of all, you're not eating when it's alive, you're killing it. But the way to kill it, or throwing it into hot boiling water, sounds like it's, uh, it's a disgusting thing. It definitely always sounded that way. And, and yet, they never did anything, they never considered it wrong all these years. Uh, and now, they want to ban it. But, they're not going to ban halal meat. And a lot of the people feel that halal meat, see, the, the problem is halal and kosher, are both ritual slaughter and were always compared to each other, even though in halal they allow beating of the animal, hitting him on the head and banging him around. And, uh, I, and you, it's disgusting what you see if you, after, if you ever observe it. Um, I did see videos, and it's, uh, it's pretty disgusting how they handle the animals, and it's not at all uh, the way Shrita the, the way, the way, uh, is uh, operating. Uh, unfortunately, we always put together, sometimes it helps us, and sometimes it hurts us, and unfortunately, uh, sometimes that's why we lose out, because they, they, they know what goes on in halal, it's sort of torture of some of the animals. So, the, uh, the plan um, is just to take care of these lobsters, and protect them, and not to involve anything against shrit and halal. And this is a good thing, and, it's, and, it's, and we have Shrita USA is very active, and the Halal Group is very active in, in, in England, and uh, they, the, the, company, the, the, uh, the community, the, uh, the British community has been very cooperative. But the, uh, the, hum, the humane societies and the groups that are trying to uh, change 
the to outlaw shechita to, to to require stunning, then eventually to outlaw all killing of animals. The steps they have a whole bunch of steps: one, two, three. We're in whatever step it is now, and they're trying to get to the next step. It's a constant battle because their goal is that no one should eat meat, and no one should kill an animal, no one should raise an animal in order to benefit man, uh, not for medicine and not for uh, for their hides and not for, uh, for, for anything. I suppose, you know, maybe they will allow milking. I'm not sure they'll allow milking. I'm not sure they'll allow making of eggs. I'm not sure they'll allow anything because they, have a, they, they want to change the life of these animals. And, and, and in a certain sense, between you and I, they are correct that, that the, uh, the businesses have reduced some of these animals to, uh, to, to certain mistreatment. They're like slaves producing eggs and fish and uh, to fish uh, in a row and 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 and, and uh, to uh, you know the foie gras. You'll be using. They're being being used uh, in, a, in maybe in, in what might be called an abusive manner. Maybe not. That's, you can get into discussion about it. But uh, the, the shrit is sort of caught in the middle. And even though we may be doing everything right and we're doing uh, uh, a quick kill. And it's some purposeful, and uh, everybody, in, I mean, most of the people in the world do eat meat, and so far, but it's really just as good as anything else, and stunning doesn't work so well. A lot of reasons we should, they shouldn't be bothering us, but they still are. And it's pressure, pressure, pressure. But in the UK, they have banning, or they didn't do it yet, they're trying to ban boiling of lobsters, but they do not want to touch and halal, and the uh, animal activists are fighting over it and trying to get them to uh, require stunning in, uh, for shrita and for halal. That's that Pasha. Uh, where is it going to head? I don't know. But it was just interesting how it came out in the same day, the, uh, the, the protection of shrita in the UK and the banning uh, problem that's going on in uh, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland.